The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. After 87 episodes, we're making a minor change with The Christian Publishing Show, and that is that we are officially transitioning to be a fortnightly show. So instead of being a weekly show, our episodes are going to come out every other week. But from time to time, I will share an episode from my other podcast, which comes out every week. That podcast, of course, is Novel Marketing. And if I think an episode from that podcast would be good for this podcast, I'll post it to both shows. And this week's episode, I think, is particularly useful. It's about the book marketing commandments, and it's an episode everyone needs to hear. And if you want to get all of the novel marketing episodes delivered to your phone automatically, you can subscribe at authormedia.com. I have a big announcement to make, so stick around for the end of the episode. Last week, I listened to a publishing guru talk about his approach to writing and marketing books. He writes dozens of books a year, and he does it by just cranking them out. He doesn't edit them other than a quick proofread, which he does himself. He drafts them, and then he publishes them on Amazon, and then he promotes them using mostly various Amazon hacks. Wow, I thought as I watched his presentation. I could not think of anything more different from my approach. Uh, While cranking out lots of poor quality titles may bring in money in the short term, it won't get you onto the New York Times bestseller list, and it won't build an enduring author brand. I tend to work with either best-selling authors or authors who want to be best-selling. So, what does it take to become a best-selling author? After working with New York Times best-selling authors for nearly a decade, I've learned about what works and what doesn't. And for the first time, I've gathered my entire approach together into 10 book marketing commandments. This episode is a manifesto of sorts on my approach to book marketing. It may be one of the most important episodes to listen to to understand the novel marketing approach and see if the novel marketing approach is for you or not. I'm Thomas Humstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And these 10 commandments are so important, I've asked James L. Rubart to voice the commandments. So, let's get started. Commandment number one. Love thy reader as you love thy book. This is the greatest commandment, and it is the first button on the shirt. If this lines up, all of the other buttons will line up. And if you get this wrong, you can't fix it with the other commandments. Books only matter when they are made real in the reader's mind. If readers won't crack open your book, it's nothing more than dead trees and ink. So you owe it to those trees who gave their lives so your ideas can have a place on the page. You owe it to them to create a book that your readers want to read. If you want readers to care about your book, you've got to care about your readers. If you want to write a book that readers want to read, you need to write the kind of book that readers already want to read. This means you need to know what your readers are looking for. So how do you do that? Well, you do the following three things. First, you know thy reader. 
Pick at least one human and write for that human. If you can write for the one, you can write for the many. So pick a representative human who's the kind of human who you want to read your book. So if you write for young adults, your representative reader needs to be a young adult. A lot of authors call this human a beta reader. Creating an imaginary persona or a reader avatar is not enough. (laughs) It just doesn't work. A lot of gurus recommend it. I used to recommend it. And after working with authors one-on-one, I find that the problem with imaginary friends is that they always like what you write. When you ask them for feedback, you're only talking to yourself. Whereas when you ask a beta reader for feedback, you're accessing another human brain, which is better. Humans matter. (laughs) Real-life human beings matter. Uh, The second step is to listen to your reader. So now you know who your reader is, you need to ask that reader some questions. Questions like, why do you read books? Why do you like the books you read? Who writes the books you like to read? And where do you go and hang out online? Where online do you talk about books? And finally, what are your pain points that my story or my nonfiction book could help alleviate? Learning to reach, serve, and thrill this representative reader is the key to learning how to reach, thrill, and serve millions of other human readers. (laughs) Uh, The final step is to serve thy reader. Now that you know who your reader is and you've listened to the answers your reader has given you to your questions, you should be able to figure out what kind of book your reader wants to read. Now write that book. A lot of new authors fall in love with their books. Their book is their baby. They tend to write a whole book, and only after they finish writing that book do they start to think about how to market the book to readers. They then spend a fortune trying to find readers for the book that they've written. This is backwards, and they eventually learn how backwards it is as they find out that readers don't want to read a book that wasn't written for them. Readers can tell when authors don't care about them. Caring about your reader isn't something that you tack on at the end as some promotional tactic. It's where you need to start. It's the first button on the shirt, which leads us to our second commandment. If you love your readers, you will know them and write for them. But before we get to the second commandment, I have a couple of resources here, and we'll do this at the end of each commandment, of ways author media can help you with this commandment. So with the first commandment, we have four episodes that you can listen to. The first is how to get to know your readers. The second is marketing 101, how readers make buying decisions at physical bookstores. The next is how to get 10,000 readers and how to keep them happy. And finally, we have an episode on how to find and work with beta readers. And of course, you can find uh, links to all of these resources at authormedia.com forward slash 254. 254 for episode 254. Commandment number two. Thou shalt write for thy reader, not for thyself. The second commandment is likened unto the first. They go together. The difference between a book and a journal is the audience. A journal is something that you write for your own edification. A book is something that you write to thrill and serve the reader. Experienced authors understand this commandment. They call it killing your darlings. Killing your darlings is when you cut parts from your book that you personally love. They're your darling sentences or your darling chapters or your darling characters. And you don't kill them just to make yourself sad. You kill your darlings because your reader wouldn't enjoy them. This is the sacrifice required to prove that you are worthy of success. Are you willing to put your reader's enjoyment of reading your book over your enjoyment in writing your book? 
If not, you're not ready for publishing success. And only a few authors are genuinely willing to write for their readers and cut any part of their book that gets in the way of thrilling their reader. And you can find these writers on the bestseller list because they know how to write for their readers rather than writing for themselves. They tend to work with multiple editors to make sure that every paragraph has a purpose. They cut ruthlessly so that only what is beneficial to the reader remains. So how do you do that? Well, one practical technique is to write your back cover copy first. This is when you write an initial version of your back cover copy before writing your book. You describe the why of your book. Why is your book worth reading? (laughs) Why should I read your book? You want to answer this question first. Or if you're writing by the seat of your pants, you write your terrible first draft, and then you write your back cover copy, and then you write the second draft to deliver on the promise of your back cover copy. This is not a revolutionary technique. This is called in the screenwriting world, writing the poster first. International bestselling author Stephen Covey calls this beginning with the end in mind. And New York Times bestselling author Simon Sinek calls this start with why. I call it serving your reader. (laughs) And it's so important. If you want to have followers, you must be a servant. This is not a new commandment. It goes back thousands of years. And yes, we have some episodes to help you with this. We have writing for your website, how to craft pages that readers actually want to read. We have an episode titled How to Write Best-Selling Back Cover Copy and an episode titled How to Craft a Compelling Elevator Pitch for Your Book. All of this will help you in presenting the idea of your book before your book comes out. And by the way, once you have this back cover copy, you can use it to start getting people excited about your book while you're writing your book. You can also use it to find out if they are excited in the first place. Commandment number three, thou shalt persist in thy craft. Getting good at writing is harder than you think. While everyone can write, only a few can write well. This is the difference between running to catch the bus and running for the Olympics. Most people can run to catch a bus, but only a few are willing to put in the time and effort to train for Olympic-level running. And I can prove it with math. So in 2016, there were 46 U.S. Olympic athletes who won the gold medal. That same year, only 29 novelists were number one on the New York Times bestseller list. You heard that right. More Americans won Olympic gold medals than were number one New York Times bestselling novelists in 2016. So don't think that your training for your craft will be easier than training for the Olympics. While learning to write well involves less sweat, it may require more tears, as any successful author will tell you. So what should you do? Well, here is how you train for Olympic-level writing. The first thing you should do is read books on craft. This is one of the few industries where the masters share their secrets. So I would start with memoirs of successful authors. So On Writing by Stephen King and Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont are great places to start. I also recommend reading specific craft books by authors like Chris Fox, Randy Ingramanson, Joanna Penn, and James Scott Bell. Not only have these people been guests on this podcast, but they each have excellent books on craft. They really know what they're talking about, and many authors have used their advice to go on to become bestsellers themselves. The next thing I recommend is for you to submit your writing to expert feedback. 
Every Olympic athlete has a coach, and don't think that you don't need a coach. Remember, riding at the top levels is harder than competing athletically at the top levels. At least there are fewer winners that win publishing gold, so to speak. There are a lot of people in this world who can help you become a better writer, uh, but none of them will help you if you're unwilling to share your work for feedback. I recommend that novelists start by writing short stories because this makes it easier for them to get feedback from excellent writers. While it may be hard to get feedback on your 100,000-word novel, it is easier to get feedback on your 5,000-word short story. The more feedback you get uh, from experts, (laughs) the faster you'll get better at writing. The next thing I recommend is to read good books. As New York Times bestselling author Stephen King says, if you want to be a writer, you must do two things above all others. Read a lot and write a lot. There is no way around these two things that I'm aware of. No shortcut. And I agree with Stephen King. Which leads us to the final recommendation, and that is to keep writing. Sometimes the best thing to do to boost your book sales is to write the next book. Olympic athletes wake up early in the morning to train, even when they don't feel like it. And best-selling authors sit down and write, even when they don't feel like it too. They don't whine about writer's block, they write. And if you want to be a writer, you must write. We have, of course, the five-year plan, which is all about helping you develop your craft. And while it takes most novelists 10 years to get good, this plan helps reduce that to half the time which is five years of work, but it's five years of focused work. And following this plan, you'll be a better writer than most authors are after 10 years of playing around or just trying on their own. We had a saying in Boy Scouts that a week's worth of canoe training was better than a lifetime of paddling around. And this is true for authors as well. We also have over 100 articles, blog posts, and episodes on writing, and I'll have a link to those in the show notes. Now, you may be wondering why the first three commandments are about readers and craft rather than about marketing. These are the book marketing commandments, after all, but it's because they are part of marketing. Good marketing can't fix a bad book. In fact, good marketing for a bad book ruins the author's reputation. So you've got to get that first button in the right spot. You've got to write the right book for your audience, and it's got to be a good book. That said, marketing is also critical. A good book with bad marketing gets lost in the noise and slowly dies unread in obscurity. This is a sad, tragic thing that happens because there's thousands of books coming out every week. Thousands of new books competing with the millions of books already published, which leads us to our next commandment. Commandment number four, thou shalt measure thy marketing author world is polluted with book marketing superstitions, which we've talked about on a previous episode. Compounding the problem is a fog of variation. Every book, author and audience is different. And that hot new marketing tactic that somebody is sharing on Facebook may be a superstition, but it may work, but only be a valid tactic for that author and not for you. Or it might be just what you need to take your platform to the next level. So what do you do to cut through the marketing advice smog? The answer is data. Data is the light that cuts through the mist to show you the nonsense from the knowledge. Next time someone shares that hot new tactic on a Facebook marketing group, 
ask to see the numbers. If they don't have numbers, suspect nonsense. So how do you get marketing data for your own marketing efforts? Because this is what's most important, right? Just because something worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you and vice versa. Somebody may be like, oh, this tactic is terrible. Amazon ads never work. or Amazon ads always work. First off, anytime somebody uses a superlative like always or never, be suspicious. But the main way to know the truth from the lies is to measure your marketing. So what should you be tracking? You should be tracking your time, your money, and your efforts. Once you know what works and what doesn't, you can cut what doesn't work and redirect your time, money, and energy into what works. The more you do this, the more effective your marketing becomes. And this helps guide all of your marketing efforts, whether it's offline, giving speeches, online, doing podcasts, or just writing lots of books. Whatever it is you're doing, you can measure to see what is working and what is not working. This is something I've spent a lot of time talking about recently on the podcast. So I won't belabor it too much here, but we do have some other episodes I would encourage you to listen to to learn more about how to measure your marketing. One is how to spend less time marketing your book. Another one is how to track your book promotion. And finally, how to use marketing data to sell more books. These three episodes will give you a great foundation to better measure your marketing, waste less time, and sell more books. We also have almost a dozen articles and episodes on author media on the category of measurement, which I'll link to in the show notes. Commandment number five. Thou shall not dig thy well whilst thou art thirsty. The publishing world is full of wolves who know how to separate new authors from their money. They prey on authors who are desperate to make money quickly. It was the wee little pig who quickly built his house with straw that ultimately got eaten by the big bad wolf. Building with bricks is more expensive and time-consuming, but it's worth it in the end. I feel bad with authors who are so poor they're stuck with tiny MailChimp email lists. If something doesn't change, they may never escape their obscurity. If your worldview is that you always have to go with the cheapest option, you'll never make it. (laughs) So what should you do? I recommend that you pace yourself. It takes time and money to develop your craft and your platform. Most authors give up before they see success. So pick a pace you can afford to maintain for 10 years or five years if you're doing the five-year plan. Publishing is not a way to get rich quick. Only the big bad wolf says otherwise. Or maybe a uh, well-meaning but ultimately unhelpful straw salesman. (laughs) So pace yourself. The second thing I recommend is to create a budget. The best way to set a sustainable pace is to have a budget of your time and money and then keep to that budget. This is time and money that you set aside each month that you can afford to set aside. This is not just a money budget, but it's also a minutes budget. If nothing comes from your writing for years, you still need to be able to eat and to feed your family. As my dad says, make enough to live on and live on what you make. Speaking of which, that leads us to my third suggestion, which is to get a job. It takes money to make money in publishing. But don't go into debt to publish your book. If you can't afford the bricks, get a job working for another author. As Jesus once said, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? There are jobs that you can get that make you money and help develop your writing and publishing and marketing skills. 
Those jobs include, and this is just some examples, there's dozens of jobs, but jobs like editor, blogger, virtual assistant, marketer, or webmaster. Let me just underline that virtual assistant role because this is an incredible opportunity. Every successful author needs at least one virtual assistant or VA. And this is a job that you do from home, working for a successful author, helping them out with whatever they need. Sometimes it's research, sometimes it's marketing. Really, top authors will have a whole team of virtual assistants that help them with social media and websites and podcasting and booking, guest interviews, you name it. And you can do these things for the successful author and make money and the progress. (laughs) And another role that I should point out is editor, right? Every book needs an editor. (laughs) Ignoring the guy at the beginning of the episode, obviously, he didn't hire editors, but he did it at his own peril. And as we say in the publishing industry, whether a book succeeds or fails, the editor always gets paid. So being an editor can be a great source of revenue as you level up your writing skills. So how does Author Media help with this? Well, we have a free course on how to build an amazing author website. Authors have gone through that course and within weeks are making money building websites for other authors who are too busy to go through the free course themselves. And this is a great way uh, to make money and to level up. If you've been building other authors' websites for months and months or years and years, when it comes time to build your own, it will be easy peasy. Now, one of the things you're going to need money for is your author platform, which leads us to our next commandment. Commandment number six. Thou shalt own thy own platform. Free platforms tend to only work for a short time. Then they either go out of business, start charging you to talk to your readers, or get flooded with spam. Sometimes all three. I'm looking at you, MySpace. Moving your platform from free platform to free platform is exhausting, and each time you move, you lose followers. When I first got started in this business, Blogger and MySpace were the hot free platforms for, quote, building your platform, unquote, and those got flooded with spam and stopped working. Then it was Twitter and Facebook. Twitter got flooded with snarky trolls where it was impossible to be heard over the din without thousands of people retweeting you. And Facebook fought the noise problem by making authors pay to talk to their readers on Facebook. Noise problem solved. But now Facebook is no longer a free platform. It's an advertising platform like buying radio ads or ads on Amazon. You can spend years posting to Facebook and connecting with people there only for the link to your book on Amazon to be hidden from everyone unless you pay money for people to see the post. Now, authors are moving to platforms like Instagram, but Instagram doesn't allow you to link to your book on Amazon unless you have at least 10,000 followers. And it's nearly impossible to get 10,000 followers on Instagram without either being famous somewhere else, spending a lot of money, or demeaning yourself in some way. It is really, really hard. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Social media is a bad place for authors to get famous. Social media is for famous authors to interact with the readers they already have. Social media sites are great places to visit, but terrible places to live. Not only is it bad for your mental health, and I'll have a link to the articles about that in the show notes, but it's also bad for your marketing. If anyone tells you differently, go back to Commandment 4 and ask to see their numbers. So what should you do? I recommend that you build your platform on land you own. And you can know you own it when you can leave with no consequences. Don't like MailChimp? You can move to ConvertKit in about 15 minutes, and your subscribers will move with you. 
Don't like Bluehost? You can move to WP Engine. It takes about an hour, and your website visitors won't even know there's a change. If you want to move away from Facebook, on the other hand, you'll lose everything and have to start over from scratch. And if you post on Facebook asking people to follow you on Twitter, Facebook will hide that post because they want you to stay on Facebook. Building your platform on a free social network is like building your house on land that someone else owns. At any time, they can kick you out and keep your hard work for themselves. Don't believe me? Read their terms of service. So the two places I recommend that you own your platform is your website and your email. For websites, I recommend WordPress.org hosted on a reputable website host like Bluehost or WP Engine. There's a lot of good WordPress web hosts out there, and they compete with each other, keeping each other honest. Your website is your home base. It is the spoke of the wheel. Everything else you do online should bring readers back to your website, where they'll either buy your book or join your email list. Uh, Your website is also where your podcast and blog will be if you decide to start blogging or podcasting. Those are also platforms that you own yourself. Back in the days of MySpace, if you had started a podcast instead, you could still have that podcast and kept all of your listeners from then till now, you know, assuming you're able to keep their attention. Your website's also where your press kit lives, your book pages, your speaking page. It's the really the first place readers go when they want to connect with you. Now, once they come to your website, hopefully they want to get on your email list, which is the second thing I recommend that you own. I recommend that you go with a reputable email service provider like ConvertKit or MailerLite. And for a comparison between those two platforms and why I no longer recommend MailChimp, I recommend that you listen to episode 251, How to Pick the Right Email Platform. We have a lot of resources to help you build your own platform. In fact, probably more resources on this than any other topic. We have over 200 episodes and articles on platform building, but three that I think are specifically helpful. It's how to survive cancel culture as a writer, how to build an author website in a day, and how to start an author podcast. But again, we have dozens and dozens of articles and episodes on each of these topics. So if you're wanting help building your platform, authormedia.com is the place to be. Commandment number seven, thou shalt weigh thine options before investing in marketing. Every successful author spends money on marketing. Even traditionally published authors spend money on things like websites, travel, conferences, and email. Not only that, but authors must invest something even more valuable than money, their time. You can make more money, but you can never make more time. The Grim Reaper comes for us all eventually. So don't ask yourself if buying a billboard will help you sell more books. The answer to this question is almost always yes. Almost any marketing activity will help you sell at least one book. But just because something helps you sell more books doesn't mean that it's a good thing for you to do. The better question to ask is, will this help me sell more books compared to the next best alternative? So how do you do that? Well, first, you have to determine your options. In order to weigh your options, you need to know what your options are are. This is why commandment number three is so important. And you want to persist in your craft, both of writing and marketing, so you better know what your options are. Uh, Comparing your options is nothing new. My business professors called this opportunity cost, which is the cost of the next best alternative. Uh, When you choose to spend four hours at a book signing, you're choosing not to spend those four hours doing something else, (laughs) whether it's, you know, 
making your website better or writing your next book or whatever your next best alternative is. And you have no way of weighing your options if you're not measuring your actions. This is why commandment four is so important. But measuring your options won't help you unless you then use the information that you've learned while measuring to make better decisions. All the commandments work together. So I encourage you to count the cost. You need to know how much time and money you have to invest. See commandment five. Uh, Some authors are time poor and cash rich, and the options they choose will be different from authors who are cash poor and time rich. A cash rich author may hire someone to build her a website, while a time rich author will build the website herself. If you are both cash poor and time poor, you're not ready to become an author. In order to succeed in publishing, you have to be willing to make your writing a priority, and that means investing time and money. How can you reap book sales if you're unwilling to sow effort in investment? If you're wanting help with this, we have a couple dozen episodes on business advice, and we also have a course, Tax and Business Guide for Authors. This walks through building an LLC, building a budget, creating a business plan, and also it has sections where I talk with my dad, who's a CPA, who's been working with authors for over 35 years, talking about tax strategies as an author and whether or not you even qualify for tax deductions as a professional author. So we have a lot of resources to help you weigh your options before investing in marketing. Commandment number eight. Thou shalt surround thyself with savvy authors. There are some things you can only learn from other authors. The savvier your friends are, the more you will learn. This is obvious, of course, and we all know that the famous authors of old were all friends with each other. So why is it hard for us? Well, I think it's for three reasons. The first reason is artifice. For many authors, the only other author interactions they have are in Facebook groups or other forum-like interactions. While Facebook groups are better than nothing, there is a difference between a Facebook friend and a real friend. It's hard to make real friends on Facebook because the people only see what you want them to see. This leads to a false projection of your true self. Your Facebook profile becomes a mask, and when everyone is wearing masks, it's hard to form true community. Facebook groups can be great for getting questions answered from a large group of other authors, and they're also a great place to get started. You don't need to know anyone to be able to join the Novel Marketing Facebook group, for instance. You just need to listen to the podcast or read the blog. But Facebook groups are no substitute for having actual friendships with fellow authors. Typing is not enough. Authors need a place where they can talk. It doesn't need to be in the same room, but it does need to be face-to-face. A community that meets regularly on Zoom is immeasurably better than a Facebook group where people are just typing at each other. When other authors can see your face and hear your voice, and you can see and hear them in return, a much more meaningful bond is formed. This is the kind of bond you will need to help you through the tough times of writing. But even if you're meeting in person or over video calls, there is a second challenge you must overcome. Pride. Pride keeps us from sharing our failures and asking questions. There's a pressure on social media, and especially in author world, to look like you have it all together. The publishers are watching after all. But when everyone is hiding their mistakes, everyone must learn from their own mistakes. And let me tell you, learning from your own mistakes is the worst. 
authors who embrace humility find that there's no limit to what they can learn from other authors. When you're willing to share your mistakes, other authors start to share their mistakes in return. And pretty soon we're all able to learn from each other's mistakes and make fewer mistakes ourselves, which makes the world a better place. While pride keeps us from learning from each other's failures, envy keeps us from learning from each other's successes. And that is the third reason author communities are so hard to form. Authors are often afraid to share their successes lest other authors secretly hate them. Envy is toxic in any community, but it's especially toxic amongst authors where success is not evenly distributed. Can you be friends with an author who's selling 100 times more books than you are? If you can't be friends with that successful author, how can you learn from that successful author? And if you're not careful, envy can become a barrier between you and the authors who you could learn from. Once you give in to envy, you stop developing as an author and you start hating those around you. Or at least you stop learning from other authors who are further along in their journeys. If you're surrounding yourself only with other authors you won't be envious of, other authors who are not as successful as you are, suddenly you have less to learn. If you want to be friends with savvy authors, you must be willing to say no to envy. Believe it or not, the ancients knew what they were talking about. When I read ancient works of literature, uh, especially Titus Livy, the uh, ancient Roman historian. He talked a lot about the evil of envy and how they were constantly having to be careful of envy in the Roman Republic. So how can author media help you with community? Well, in several ways, actually. I have a handful of mastermind groups, and each group is limited to 10 authors, where we meet every month over Zoom face-to-face. We also share a Slack workspace where we answer each other's questions throughout the month. So if you want the ability to text me your questions, this mastermind group gives you a place to do that. You can put Slack right there on your phone and you can text me your questions and not just I answer, but the other masterminds in the group answer it as well. It's a really great community. It's a really tight knit community. And we have openings that open up in the group from time to time. Sometimes the groups are sold out. But there is a waiting list on authormedia.com, and I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to learn more. I also have a course on how to start a writer's group, and we have a bunch of episodes. How to start a mastermind group, episode 135, how to start a local writer's group, and episode 101, why mastermind groups give best-selling authors an edge and how to start one. Commandment number nine, thou shall not publish thy first book first. Many authors feel the first book they have ever written in their life is a masterpiece. As James L. Rubart says, the way to learn how to write a book is to write a book. And an athlete's first race is not for a gold medal. And your first book, I hate to say it, is not a masterpiece. At least, it's not a masterpiece yet. The challenge is, when you're first writing your book, you're too close to it. You're standing inside the jar trying to read the label. And it often takes years of craft development to have perspective to see the flaws in your freshman effort. A leading cause of burnout in authors is trying too hard to get that first book published. These authors end up with dozens of rejection letters, or uh, they go indie and end up with dozens of sales, which is even worse. And they give up thinking that something is wrong with them. If only someone had had the heart to tell them that they needed practice, that burnout and discouragement could have been avoided. For some authors, like Stephen King, they never publish that first book. Other authors are able to come back years later and with their new skills and abilities are able to transform that freshman book into a masterpiece. 
Returning to your first book after years of writing is like the hobbits returning to the Shire after saving Middle-earth. One, you have no idea how bad things were, while at the same time, you now have the new skills that you gained from saving Gondor and Rohan and putting the ring in Mount Doom to come back and do something about uh, the evil men who've invaded the Shire, or in this case, all of the bad writing that has invaded your masterpiece. So do yourself a favor and don't publish your first book first. Let that first book be the learning lesson it was meant to be and go on and write your next book. You're a writer. Writing is what you do. So write the next book. Don't be afraid of the writing. Practice, practice, practice. Nothing helps your career like having your first book published be a massive hit. In fact, for many successful authors, it looks like they were stars right out of the gate because that first book was a hit and it led to them getting bigger contracts, more marketing money, and each book is an even bigger hit after that. What you don't see is that their first book, quote-unquote, was actually their third book, or their fourth book, or their dozenth book. If your first book is a dud, often the traditional publishing doors close to you. Authors with a bad sales history get a stink about them, and no publisher wants to get near. And if you're an indie, uh, and your first few books are duds, it often causes you to lose money, so that you have even less money to invest in the next book, creating the same kind of vicious cycle. Now, I know this is the most controversial commandment. It is the hardest commandment to hear. No one's going to criticize me for telling you to commit to your craft. But when I tell you to put that first book aside, I know it's hard to hear. And a common rebuttal when I talk about this is, what about To Kill a Mockingbird? Which was the first book, and it was a masterpiece. But if you look closer, you'll see that's not what happened. Harper Lee started off by writing short stories for her campus magazine, just like what we recommend here on the podcast. Then she wrote a book titled Go Set a Watchman, which was, quote, unfit for publication, unquote, according to her publisher. Harper Lee then kept writing until To Kill a Mockingbird emerged from the ashes of Go Set a Watchman. Half a century later, an edited version of Ghost Set Watchmen was published, and readers hated it. (laughs) It's one of the lowest uh, Amazon star-rated books I've ever seen of a New York best-selling book. You know, millions of people are going to buy a book by Harper Lee, uh, but when they read it, they realized it wasn't as good. If Harper Lee had published Ghost Set a Watchmen first, she may never have had the opportunity to write To Kill a Mockingbird, because no publisher would touch her. And she'd already written that story or a version of that story that wasn't good. So thank God she didn't publish her first book first. And she kept working on her craft and on her writing and on her story until she was ready to put out a book that would change the world. Your writing deserves that same level of commitment. And so don't be in too big of a rush to publish your first book. Commandment number 10. Thou shall not be false to thine own brand. While the first commandment is the most important, love thy reader as much as you love thy book, commandment number 10 is, in some ways, the culmination of all of the other commandments. If you want to have a good brand, follow the other nine commandments. Uh, Brand, of course, is a trendy word for an old concept. Our ancestors used the word reputation, and the ancients used the word name. King Solomon once said, a good name is more desirable than great riches, to be esteemed more than silver or gold. And while you may write many books in your career, you only get 
one reputation. So make sure to be true to who you are as an author. Your brand is not a photo, a logo, a genre, a collection of fonts, or a collection of colors. It is the story you tell about yourself, and more importantly, it is the story others tell about you. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation and only one mistake to destroy one. And as you make promises to your reader, remember, your reader expects you to keep those promises. The most common way authors make promises to readers is by writing books. Readers assume your next book will be like your last book. People expect Stephen King's books to be dark because his last books were dark. And they expect James Patterson's books to be thrilling because his last books were were thrilling. You can grow your brand, but it grows where it's planted. So be careful to plant your brand in a place where you are willing to live for the rest of your career. The more successful you become, the harder it will be to write anything other than what readers expect. Some authors don't realize their first book set the course of the rest of their careers until it is too late. So don't be too quick to publish your first book. It's okay to write a book and hold on to it for a while to see if it's worth publishing. Digging your brand up by the roots and planting it somewhere else can be done, but it is incredibly painful and it will lead to negative book reviews as your readers of your past books hate your next books. You can save yourself that trouble and those one-star reviews by picking a place to plant your brand and then growing where you're planted. We have some episodes to help you with this. We have a four-step process. Step one is look in the mirror. Uh, Step two is look at your readers. Step three is look through your readers. And step four is look in your readers' mirror. And we have an episode on each one of those steps, and I'll have links to those steps in the show notes. It's a step-by-step brand-building exercise. I'm also planning on doing more episodes on branding Uh, here in the near future. And we also have a couple dozen articles and episodes on branding, and we'll have a link to those in the show notes. So those are the 10 commandments of book publishing. (laughs) This isn't a step-by-step plan. It's more of a set of guidelines where if you follow these commandments, uh, you have a lot of freedom to do a lot of things and try different aspects. But these are the commandments I've noticed the best-selling authors tend to follow. Sometimes they do it painfully, where they discover a commandment by breaking the commandment and learning from that painful experience. In fact, I was just recently talking uh, with an author who broke this 10th commandment about branding and was painfully trying to rebuild his brand in a different area and was suffering as a result. He was getting one-star reviews from his existing readers who didn't like the new direction he was taking his books. So I hope you will learn from these commandments and where you don't have to learn them the hard way. Now, it's time for my big announcement. As you know, while we have a lot of little courses at Author Media, we only have two big signature courses, and those are the five-year plan, which is about developing your craft. And the reason most authors fail to become bestsellers is that they publish before they're ready, as we've already been talking about. And the five-year plan helps you work on the right things at the right time in order to become a better writer faster. The second course is right at the end of the writing process. It's the Book Launch Blueprint. This is the course that prepares authors for the months leading up to their book's launch. And we had an incredible response to the Book Launch Blueprint this year. Many of our students have already launched their books, and many of them were number one new releases or category bestsellers. 
But during the book launch blueprint this year, I noticed that some authors were coming to the blueprint with little or no platform. They had a launch coming up in a month or two, and they only had a few hundred email subscribers, and they were scrambling to build a platform, and they were getting overwhelmed and exhausted. Rome wasn't built in a day, and you don't want to get famous overnight. It can happen, but all of the paths to get you there are painful ones. A solid platform takes years to build. And so I've been observing this and realizing there's a need for another signature course to happen in between the five-year plan, which is about getting started as a writer, and the kind of last-minute book launch blueprint. In other words, a course on how to build a platform. I haven't settled on a name yet, but I'm thinking about Obscure No More, How to Build a Platform Publishers Can't Say No To. I like that title, but indie authors also benefit from having a large platform. So I'm not sure if that subtitle would scare away the indie. So maybe you can let me know. And if you have any better ideas for the name of this course, do let me know. I'm very curious uh, to hear your thoughts. The course will officially launch in the fall of 2021, but I will soon be looking for some beta students to go through the course as I make it. So these beta students will be not only the first to access the course, but they'll also get special Q&A calls with me where I'll answer their questions, but also ask them questions on how I can make the course better and what questions they ask and what is confusing that will actually help inform me how to tweak the sessions and make it more useful. Beta students will have lifetime access to the course, so they won't just get that first version of the sessions, but they'll also get the more polished versions that the other students will get the next year. They'll also get updates as I update the course into the future. And they'll also get a massive discount on the price of the course. Now, uh, registration for the beta program will be limited. I'm going to open it up first to authors in my mastermind groups, and then I'll open it up to patrons. And there's more patrons than there will be spots, but I'm not expecting every patron to sign up as a beta student. Then I'll open it up to email subscribers, and then finally I'll announce it here on the podcast. So if you're interested in being a part of the Obscure No More beta program, register at least for the Author Media email newsletter at authormedia.com, or better yet, become a patron of the podcast for early access to jump in before the spots disappear. Now, speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is C.L.R. Peterson, author of Lucia's Renaissance, Heresy is Fatal in Late Renaissance Italy. So only a suicidal zealot would so much as whisper the name Martin Luther. But after Luther's ideas ignite a young girl's faith, she must choose, abandon her beliefs, or risk her life in the turbulent world of late 16th century Italy. Thank you, C.L.R. Peterson, for being a patron of the podcast. I appreciate your support helping keep this show on the air. And if you would like to become a patron of the podcast, we will have a link in the show notes. Hi, this is Shirley Goldberg. The title of my book is Middle Age-ish, and I learned the importance of email lists and reader magnets and about 737 other things from the Novel Marketing Podcast. Keep it coming, and thanks so much. You've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To find the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit novelmarketing.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.